That was great. Thanks, Mary Poppins. Greetings and welcome to all of you. I am so excited to be here. Um, I love the first day of Bible study and I'm so very happy that you are here as well. Isn't it good to be back? Great to be back. Yes, and welcome to West Campus. We're glad that you are joining us. I'm Deb Haygood. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and I love the first day of Bible study. It's so exciting. It is a lot like the first day of school. There's so much excitement and so much energy. You're going in, and you're seeing old friends, and you're finding your small group, and meeting new people. So much excitement, unless it's not exciting for you. And maybe there are some of you that are here today and this uh, was a little bit hard and maybe even a little bit scary. We wanted you to feel warm and welcome here, but sometimes it just gets to be a little big, a little hard, and um, especially if you're new for the very first time. So if you are new, raise your hands. You did that for Karen, but let me see how many of you are here for the very first time. That is great. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being here being a part of this. Um, I have a story for you. Uh, It's about my granddaughter, Finley. She's five years old. She lives in Fort Worth, and she started kindergarten this year, a couple weeks ago. And the second day of school, I went to pick uh, Finley up. She's at a school close to where I live. So I went uh, to pick her up, and when she got in the car, I said, Finley, how's kindergarten? And she looked at me. She's pretty dramatic, and she goes, Grammy, it is so, so hard. Now, I kind of chuckled, too, and I thought, hey, it's the second day of kindergarten. How hard can it be? But with my most compassionate voice, I looked at Finley, and I said, oh, Finley, what is so hard? And she, big eyes, she goes, my teacher said I have to do exactly what she says all day long. Now, there's two reasons why that would be hard for Finley, because she's a pretty bright little girl. She is uh, a rules keeper. She likes to get it right. She likes to do things right, and she's very literal. So when the teacher said exactly what I say all day long, she's probably thinking, whoa, that sounds kind of hard to do that. And there's a second reason that this could have been hard for Finley. She is also a firstborn, so she is a planner. She likes to make the plan. And when she's at my house, I pretty much let her make the plan. So she probably went to kindergarten and thought, whoa, where's the time for my plan in all of this? I'm not sure which it was, but I thought of you all as I was praying for you this morning, thought of the new people coming and thinking maybe some of you um, thought this seems a little hard because we have a lot of rules. Although we tried to make it lighthearted with Mary Poppins. Um, The truth is, we are really very accommodating, and we just want you to come and be a part of Women in the Word. Some of you might have thought it was a little hard today because you're thinking, hey, this looks like a lot of structure, and where can I fit in my plan? And um, I just want to say that we have um, opportunities at the end of the year. There's evaluations where you can give us your thoughts and ideas. But if you don't want to wait till then, find someone um, in the Women in the Word leadership team and just give them your suggestions or come talk to me. I would love to hear your thoughts and ideas about uh, Women in the Word. I want to tell you that the leadership team of Women in the Word, um, it's all made up of women just like you. Because everyone in uh, the Women in the Word leadership comes to Women in the Word. 
They are a part of a small group. They come in here and um, sing and worship and listen to the lesson. We don't have guest speakers. We don't have guest musicians. We are all part of Women in the Word. And I think that's what makes this Bible study so special. Uh, so please come and be a part of us. We're so excited that you're here today and looking forward to you being a part of Women in the Word. I also want to say something about the questions. If you looked at those and thought those looked a little daunting, we include those questions in your notebooks to help you individually get into God's Word, to read it and study it and think about it and let the Holy Spirit um, reveal truth to you. Now, if a question seems kind of hard as you're going through it, think about it, pray over it, and if it still is confusing, then just move on. Just skip it. That's okay. And just go on to the next one. The more time you spend on the questions, the more time you give the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the truth. But if you just have 20 minutes before Bible study, that's okay. Sit down, read the Word, Look at those questions and um, spend that time before Bible study. Or maybe it's a week when the sky does fall in and you don't get one second to look at your questions. That's okay. Come on to Bible study. We want you to come and be here and be a part. Now, if you do um, get to your questions and you um, have great insights the Holy Spirit gives you, please share those with your small group. Don't be shy because your insight into the Word of God might be the best thing someone in your group hears all day. So please share those insights. This kind of brings us to the question, why do we want to study the Word of God anyway? Why do we want to study the Word of God individually? Well, on your outline, I have four answers um, to that. There's many answers, but I have four. The first one is, the Bible is God's true word. This Bible, these are God's true words. The Bible is God's story. It's his love story. It's God's story of creation, of redemption, and salvation for mankind, for each one of us. Now, um, we um, are a part of this story. We are all in God's story. Now, sometimes we get this backwards. We think, I want God to be a part of my story. And so um, we begin to pray, and I do this. I wake up in the morning, I have a good plan. And so I pray, God, um, be a part of my plan. The truth is that we are a part of God's story. Every bit of us, a part of God's story. And he wants us to join his plan. It's a different perspective. And as you read God's word, the truth of this reality becomes more real to you. <clears throat> and because it's a story, God's um, word is personal and it's relational. God wants a relationship with mankind, his creation. He wants a personal and individual relationship with each one of us, you and me. Because God is holy and we are not, God provides us with righteousness through the work of Christ on the cross. Jesus died and paid the penalty of our sin so that we might have righteousness, holiness, so that we might have a relationship with God. It's God's grace that saves us. Third, we study the Word of God because it's revelational. Okay, now when I was typing up the outline and I put in revelational, my computer was kind of going ding, ding, you know, that's not a word. I, 
I like it. I think it sounds like a pretty good word, revelational. What it means is the word of God reveals God. It reveals God. It tells us who God is. It tells us what God wants us to know about himself, about ourselves, and about others in this world around us. It reveals God. And uh, the last thing, oh, we study God's word, not for head knowledge, but for heart knowledge. We want to read God's word so it enters our soul and becomes a part of us. Just like food enters our stomach and it gets into our bloodstream and the nutrients go throughout our body and become a part of us. The word of God enters our soul. It becomes a part of us. It becomes holiness and love and wisdom. Fourth, we study the word of God because the Bible is alive and powerful. It changes us. It's formative. It forms Christ's likeness in us. I love that song, Ancient Words, Ever True, Changing Me and Changing You. We come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. They change us. They make us more like Christ. They're formative. Now, I have a... Um, uh, analogy for this. It's not perfect, but um, it's about water skiing. You know, you can read a book about water skiing, or you can even read a manual on how to water ski. You can hold a water ski and the rope, and you can even get on a boat and watch someone water ski. But until you get in the water, put on the water skis, let that boat pull you up with the wind in your face, and you're gliding across the top of the water on those skis, you don't really know and understand water skiing, what it's like. You don't know that experience. That's what it's like to read the word of God individually on your own and let the Holy Spirit impart truth to you. Let it become part of you. It's an experience that's so awesome that you will want to read the word of God Every day. And that's why many of you are here. If you haven't thought of that before, looked at reading and studying God's word like that, I hope that you'll be motivated to read God's word like that this year. On your verse sheet, I have um, a verse from Psalms. It's Psalm 119, 103, and it says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The psalmist understood this. He's understanding what it's like to read the word and let it go deep inside. He's talking about it being like honey, tasting sweet, going down deep into his soul. So what are we going to be studying and reading this semester? Well, most of you probably know that. Two little books in the New Testament, Galatians and Ephesians. These are two letters written by Paul. Um, how many of you studied Acts last spring with us? Okay, then you all remember Paul. He was one of the main characters in the book of Acts. But even if you weren't here for that study, no, it doesn't matter. Because the good thing about Galatians, Paul tells us all about himself. In fact, next week we're going to learn a lot about Paul um, in our lesson from Galatians. So let me just say real quickly just a couple things about Paul. He was a devout Jew following very carefully the Jewish law until one day he meets the risen Lord Jesus and his life was forever changed. And he becomes a traveling evangelist called primarily to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Now, if you are not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So most of us in this room are Gentiles and we are very grateful for the ministry of Paul.
You know, these two letters are very uh, different. Galatians was written early in Paul's ministry. Probably it's his very first letter that he wrote, written around 48 A.D. Ephesians is one of his latter letters, later letters. It was written um, in prison, probably his Roman imprisonment. So it was probably written around 60 A.D. Galatians was written to the churches in Galatia. We're going to talk about more of that in a minute. And Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. Um, And I love these books. The first five weeks, we're going to study the book of Galatians. Um, And the teachers for this, um, I call them Team Galatians, will be Shelley Davis, Wendy Lyon, and myself. And then the last six weeks of this semester, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, and it's going to be taught by Team Ephesians, which includes Amy Foster, Lynn Kitchens, um, Vanita Jones, and Misty Denman. These uh, little letters are really great because they both start out teaching us doctrinal truth. And then the last parts of the two books teach us practical ways to um, apply that truth to our lives. So they're important and they're relevant. They're important books because they teach us foundational doctrinal truths and what that means to us on a daily basis, what that means to our everyday lives. Now you hear that word doctrinal truth. Yikes, what is that? What is doctrine? Well, doctrine just simply means teachings. It's a body of teachings. And Christian doctrine is those um, truths, those core beliefs that we get from the word of God. It's what we believe about Christianity, about our faith, and why. Uh, And sometimes these uh, doctrinal truths can be a little hard, but once you grasp them, it's foundational. The light bulb goes, goes on and you understand about your faith. And then other things about your faith begin to make sense as you get this foundation laid. Um, Then the great thing about these books, we go on and we learn how do we apply this doctrinal truth to our life? How do we behave in light of that? And so it's relevant. Now, let me tell you that um, sometimes Paul's long sentences and descriptive words and phrases and run-ons, it can be a little difficult to understand. And so you're going to need to think about it and ponder it and let the Holy Spirit illuminate these verses. But take heart, because even Peter thought some of the teachings of Paul was a little difficult to understand. And we see that in 2 Peter 3.15. It's on your verse sheet. Amy Foster showed me this verse, and I love it. This is Peter talking about Paul. He says, Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. I love that part, because that's Peter really endorsing Paul, saying the wisdom that he has comes from God. He goes on and says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. (laughs) So remember that when you're reading it, even Peter thought that. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now we're not going to distort God's wisdom that he gave through Paul. We will endeavor to understand it, to let it become a part of us and to change our thinking and our behavior. So what are these major truths in these two letters? Briefly, Galatians is about justification by faith, not works. Another way of saying that, it's God's grace, not the law, that saves us. Galatians is all about 
God's grace. We are set free by Jesus, so we are free indeed. We're going to talk a lot about freedom in Christ and what that means for you and me in the book of Galatians. In Ephesians, Paul tells us what our possessions and what our position is in Christ. What we have and who we are in Christ. And it's abundant. We are rich. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are in Christ. And we have the lavish, abundant, overwhelming riches of God's grace and love for us. And when we are rich in Christ, we are rich indeed. So you see that these two books, Galatians and Ephesians, are important. They're important to our understanding of what we believe and why. They teach us some basic um, beliefs of Christianity. And they are relevant because they teach us how to live out our belief. So let's turn to Galatians 1. And we're going to um, spend the rest of our time this morning on these first ten verses. Um, Now, you're going to want your Bible because every week we are going to read um, out of the Word of God, the book of Galatians, and then Ephesians. And if you don't have one, there's one under your um, pew there. So bring your Bibles. We're going to turn to Galatians 1, and we're going to begin to read. Let me read the first five verses. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead... And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we see here this greeting is very important to the book of Galatians. And um, the first thing that you might notice, those of you that have studied the other letters of Paul, is that something is missing in this letter. And that is words of thanksgiving or commendation um, to the recipients of the letter. All of his other letters have this. And on your verse sheet, I have a few examples. From Ephesians 1.1 it says... To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. There's a commendation. Philippians 1.3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Thanksgiving for them. Colossians 1.2. To the saints and faithful brothers in God, Christ at Colossae. And then 1 Thessalonians 1. I love this verse. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at all of Paul's letters starting with Romans and ending with Philemon, every one of them has some word of thanksgiving uh, commendation to the recipients. Not so in Galatians. We didn't see it there in that greeting. Oops. I think that tells us right away that Paul is very serious in this letter. He is very serious. He's upset. He's even stern. And we're going to see in this letter to the Galatians, Paul uses direct words, blunt words, strong words. We might say they're fighting words. This is Paul's most passionate letter because he is defending the most basic foundational truth of Christianity. And that is salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. 
Did you get that? Salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. So you might want to picture Paul with boxing gloves on. He's getting ready to fight. He's going to take a stand for this truth. Now, if uh, that is a little harsh for you, then picture him in a sharp suit of an attorney. Because he is also going to speak a very well-defended and eloquent defense of the truth of the gospel. In Galatians, Paul will speak against legalism. Legalism is adding anything to faith alone. And he will speak for Christian liberty, or we might say freedom. Galatians is about God's grace and our freedom in Christ. Galatians has been called the manifesto of Christian liberty. Or one book I read called it the Magna Carta of Christian freedom. It's also said that Galatians has been... Uh, is called the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. And I think that's due um, largely to Martin Luther, who is the father of the Protestant Reformation, or who we associate with the Reformation. And he loved the book of Galatians. He loved it so much, he compared it to the love he had for his wife. So Galatians is an important book, and we want to understand and embrace this wisdom of God given through Paul in this letter. And while we're picturing um, this serious, passionate Paul, I um, have a painting that I came across. We're going to put that up on the screen now. <clears throat> this um, painting I saw this summer. My um, husband, Scott, and I went to Germany and France for our anniversary. We'd never done anything like this, been anywhere like that. And the churches over there were amazing. They were awesome. The way that the church goes up, it points to the heavens. You can't help but feel the awe and reverence of God when you walk in. And they're also like little mini museums. I didn't know this, but they have paintings and artifacts and all kinds of little statues and things in these churches. It was beautiful. And in one little church in Paris, it was Church of Savary, however you say that, um, I came across this and I thought, that's Paul. And it says, there was a little blurb about it, this painting was just over the door. Now get this, it was painted by a French artist, Claude Vignon, from the 17th century. So it was this old painting of Paul. And I was knee deep in the study of Galatians. And the minute I looked at that, I thought, that's Paul writing Galatians. And that sword represents the fighting words of Paul in Galatians. Okay, now Team Ephesians is probably thinking, Deb, in Ephesians, uh, Paul calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. So they're probably going to try to claim it for them. But doesn't matter. I think it's a really good painting of Paul that we see there, him thinking about his letter, some letter that he is writing. So let's continue looking at the greeting. And the first thing we see that Paul tells us, he is an apostle. Now that word apostle means one who is sent. Someone commissioned with a message. Paul tells us he is sent, not by mere man, but by God himself. He is an apostle commissioned by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I love it that Paul gets in here, this resurrection of Jesus Christ, because that is a very important um, element of our faith. It may be the most important uh, part of Christianity that Christ is resurrected. It is the one thing that makes um, Christianity different from all other faiths and religions. We have a Savior that is alive. So he talks about that, the resurrected Jesus Christ, the indisputable fact of Christ's resurrection from the grave. This is who has commissioned Paul, Jesus Christ himself, and God the Father. 
And what is the message that Paul is sent to deliver? Well, he tells us that in verses 3 and 4. Let's read those again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. So you see there, right off, grace and peace to you. Now this is a common greeting. Paul uses this greeting in every single one of his letters. Grace and peace. Grace is the Greek word charis. It means God's undeserved favor on us. It's God's undeserved favor on us. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. On your verse sheet, Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in 1 John 4.10, John tells us this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. <clears throat> it's grace. It's grace. And uh, William Barclay, I love this. He says this in his uh, commentary on Galatians, that when Paul prays for grace on his friends, it is as if he said, may the beauty of the wonder of the undeserved love of God be on you so that it will make your life lovely too. I love that. Um, We sometimes just throw that word grace around so much that we kind of forget the meaning of it. And I love it that we um, see Barclay there reminding us of the wonder and the beauty of this undeserved love that God pours down on us. That is grace. And Galatians is all about grace. The second word that we see here is peace. And that is the Hebrew word shalom. And it's always in this order because first we experience God's grace, then we have peace. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who, and here comes the grace, who willingly died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He offered himself as the sacrifice for our sin to rescue us, to deliver us from the bondage of sin and there's freedom. And from that comes peace, grace and peace. So this is Paul's message that Christ died willingly to rescue us. And uh, what motivates Paul to preach this message? And we see that in verse 5. Our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is motivated to preach this message of Jesus to the glory of God. All that he says and does is for the glory of God. Paul's motive is pure. And we want to keep that in mind because that is going to be important as we study the rest of Galatians. His motive is pure. He preaches his message to the glory of God. And to whom is Paul writing? We see that in verse 2. To the churches in Galatia. So if you'll put that map up, um, this is the same map that you had uh, at your small group tables today. We're going to look at that once again. It's kind of little. You can pull out your map. But um, Paul, on his first missionary journey, he leaves with Barnabas from Antioch in Syria, which is right there. That's Antioch in Syria. That actually um, has become the headquarters of Christianity. They've made that the headquarters. They had to leave Jerusalem due to the persecution of the Christians after the stoning of Stephen. So this is the headquarters. And so Paul and Barnabas take off, and they go down around Cyprus, and then they come up here to this Antioch of Pisidia, Lystra, Derbe, Iconium. 
Now, this is southern Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And those are the churches that Paul went to on his first missionary journey. Um, And we learn some things about that in chapters 13 and 14 of Acts. We don't have time to go through all of that, but I have a couple summary statements on your verse sheet. Acts 13, 48 says this, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So when they heard this, this was the good news, the gospel message from Paul. Um, The Gentiles believed. So we know that in these cities there were Gentile believers uh, when Paul and Barnabas left. Acts 14.27 says this, and when they arrived, this is talking about Paul and Barnabas returning, arriving back at their home base, Antioch in Syria. It says they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So Gentiles in these cities in southern Galatia became believers. And um, this is what we think... uh, the letter to these churches. And so we think that it was probably uh, written after this first missionary journey, which would be around 48 AD, right before the Jerusalem Council. Now I say probably because there is some debate, I don't want to go into it, but there are theologians that think it was written later. But those of us on Team Galatians, we've looked at the commentaries and studied this, we really think this is the best date, and uh, so we're sticking with it. Uh, Letter written right after the first missionary journey. So let's move on and look at uh, verse 6, and we're going to see the purpose of this letter. Verses 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Here's the purpose. Um, Paul is astonished. He is amazed. One translation said, I marvel. Um, It is a strong word, and it has a negative tone to it. It's maybe like we would say, seriously, you are deserting God and the grace of Christ? That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. John Constable, in his commentary, calls this an indignant expression of surprise. It has a sense of disappointment or rebuke to it. Paul is shocked, and not in a good way. These new Galatian Christians were turning away from God's grace. And that uh, word there, deserting, that's a Greek uh, military term that means soldiers deserting. And it was punishable by death. We see Paul's genuine concern. He is upset. He's disturbed. He's even angry with these um, Galatian believers. Because the Galatians are on dangerous ground. They're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, because Paul says there is no other gospel. So, okay, let's define gospel, because um, we're going to see that a lot. Gospel uh, is, really means good news. It's a word that means good news. And in the Bible, it is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bring life, and the gospel is the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and how men and women can find joy and salvation through faith in him. 
That's the long version. The gospel begins with God and his grace. And verse 7 here tells us that there were some that were trying to distort it or change it. And when you add anything to grace, which is a free gift, you destroy it. Now, from the verses following in Galatians, we um, know that when he says they were distorting the gospel, what he means is that they were actually adding the law to the gospel. They were saying, these false teachers, that you need to keep the Jewish law to be saved. They were adding to the gospel. Now, we're not sure who these people were. He calls them some. We're going to refer to them as false teachers or Judaizers, but we're not really sure who they were. Um, they could have been Gentile Christians in the church. They, I mean, Jewish Christians inside the church. So they were believing in Jesus, um, but they also were bringing the Jewish law with them. It could be that these were just Jews outside the church and that they held to the law and they were just trying to disrupt or really destroy Christianity. We're not sure, but either way, they were confusing the Gentile Christians in Galatia. They were troubling them. They were upsetting them. And Paul is furious. No wonder he um, doesn't have time for words of commendation and thanksgiving in this letter. This false teaching is dangerous. It undermines um, the very foundation of salvation. It undermines the very foundation. The gospel says that salvation comes by the grace of God alone through faith in Christ alone. Nothing more. And when we add anything, any works of any kind baptism, communion, confession, when we say any of that is necessary to be saved, then we're adding work, something that we do on our part. And that means that we're relying on our own resources and not on the sacrifice of Jesus alone. It's like we're saying to God, the sacrifice of Jesus isn't enough. I need to do something to make myself acceptable to you. And that is legalism. Legalism is the concept that we are acceptable when we follow the rules, when we keep the rules. And when we do that, we focus on the rules, not on the relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's see just how furious Paul is over this. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is saying that the gospel I preach to you is the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. I received these words of the gospel from Jesus himself. So I have on your outline Paul's gospel. It's not really Paul's gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is the same gospel that Peter and John and the apostles were preaching in Acts. And it's the same good news that Jesus was talking about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the true gospel of Jesus himself. Any other gospel is false. And it does not bring life. It does not bring a relationship with God. Instead, it brings condemnation and death. Adding the law takes away the grace, and the law will not save you. 
we see a couple um, verses, uh, 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, that really kind of give the essence of this gospel message, this true gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that, so that no one may boast. You know, um, this verse 10, uh, let's just read that real quickly. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, this verse here, Paul talking about, am I trying to, you know, a, you know really appeal to you or to uh, be approved by God? That is in there because it's thought that these false teachers were telling the Galatians, hey, Paul is just trying to get in with you guys, get in good with you. He's just trying to act like it's really easy that this gospel message is just about believing, you know, that God does all the work. How easy is that? Paul is strongly saying, I am not all about the approval of man. I am a servant of Christ. His motive is pure. He's preaching the truth for the glory of God. You know, but truthfully, I can kind of see why the Galatians were confused by these false teachers. I think it's pretty easy to um, want to do something to be saved, thinking that we really need to do something else to be saved, some work, some penance, something that makes me a little better to be saved. You know, maybe I need to read my Bible every day or go to a foreign country and um, tell others about Jesus or teach Sunday school or give my money to the poor. You know, these are all good things. And we do these things as believers because we love God. But they are not necessary for salvation. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you ever get confused about grace and legalism, about faith and works, you know, if uh, we are going to um, study Galatians and we will... Uh, learn solid truth of God. And then we're going to become discerning about this. And so when confusing things come our way, we will know the truth. And there's a lot of confusing things out there today. We want to be grounded in the truth. Know what we believe and why so that we can act accordingly. That's what's going to happen this semester as we study Galatians and as we study Ephesians. What are some uh, gain that we are going to, what's some gain that we're going to get from the study of Galatians? I've got three things. One, joy from reading and studying God's word. Let God's word drench you with joy as it becomes a part of you. Second, understanding the truth in God's word. So we know what we believe about God and why we believe it. Let the word of God drench you with understanding as it becomes a part of you. And the third thing, aligning our belief and behavior to God's truth. That's what we're going to gain this semester. Paul is telling the Galatians, line up everything you hear to the word of God. Does it match up? If not, then reject it. It's not the truth. 
that's what chapters 2 through 4 in Galatians are going to teach us. And then chapters 5 and 6, I love this. It's all about lining up our behavior with this truth. That we are free in Christ and that comes from God's grace alone through faith in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such a mighty God. You are such a good God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know you and know the truth as we study these words. Lord, as we let them um, change us and become a part of us. Father, let the ancient words impart this semester. Thank you so much for each one of these women. I pray, Father, that you would um, just bring us back together, um, glorifying you and just excited about what we learn in these two letters this semester. Thank you for the book of Galatians, that it is all about your grace. You love us so much, and we are just so grateful for that. And I um, thank you, and I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.